Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today we travel to the beautiful wine hills of the Castelli di Esi in the region of Le Marche to meet my guest today, Carlo Paoloni, who is the owner of the Tombolini Winery, which has been in the family hands for a hundred years. Ciao, Carlo. Thanks for being my guest today. I'm guessing it's high summer in Le Marche, and you're finding a way to keep cool. Ciao, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, yes, it's uh, you know we are we are in the middle of the summer here, but also refreshed by the the Adriatic Sea's breezes. And huh? it's a quite a pleasant day, and uh, we are looking forward to a family gathering today. Oh, good. That sounds great. Well, that's one of the beauties of where you are in the Castelli di Esi, isn't it? That you've got this proximity of the Adriatic, and you also have the mountains, the hills leading up to the high mountains. For our listeners, just to give them a picture of the Castelli di Esi and what a special place it is, can you describe Staffolo and where you are and your wine estate? Yes, sure. We are we are at around three hundred meters on the sea level, uh, facing east. This is one of the of the of the beauties of being on the Adriatic side of Italy. Also, that naturally the slopes are tending towards east, and the more gentle sun exposure. We are. 30 kilometers uh, away from the Adriatic Sea shoreline and 10 kilometers from the peak of the Apennine here, which is Monte San Vicino at 1,500 meters of altitude. Staffolo is an historical, a very historical uh, city for a town for viticulture. There are, there are records from 1350 uh, you know, of, of the, the town being full of wine. Uh, so <laughs> we've been drinking okay. some wine since at least that time. I say it was Verdicchio. I'm sure it was. And I'm sure it was. Uh, people were drinking it for even longer than that time. The Castelli Piesi, beautiful hilltops with, with castles, fortifications uh, around this uh, area near Yezi, the town of Yezi. Yeah, sure. So this is uh, Castelli di Yezi. You know, it's a, it's a denomination uh, where valleys are, you know, are created by rivers flowing from the Appendix down to the Adriatic Sea. And so these, these valleys are running, if you want, perpendicular to the, to the Adriatic coast. 
and that they are kind of natural channels for air and water. I say we are in the middle of a natural channel of air and water, and the, the, that allows the breezes from the sea uh, to come up to the hills. And at the same time, you know, in the winter and, and in the, you know, in the months around also the beginning and the end of the summer, we have uh, quite high excursions, temperature, diurnal, diurnal excursions and being close to the Apennines. So uh, these are areas where normally in the winter it, it snows. So in the winter we are covered by snow and in, in the summer we have the refreshing impact of being close to the mountain. Okay. And that movement of air from the land breezes and the sea breezes must keep the vines fresh and people fresh as well because it's been a hot summer. Oh, it's been it's been a very hot summer. There's no way to deny it. I mean think I think all around all around Europe. But you know, Verdicchio Verdicchio, which is our focus, you know, we our thirty hectares vineyard is all planted at Verdicchio. Uh, and you know, with vines that go from, you know, twenty five to fifty years uh, of age. Verdicchio is quite late late ripening grape. And um, seems to be quite uh, strong uh, against against also weather changing. Uh, the other thing which is which is good in the location where we we, we are is the, you know the mix the mix in the soil soil types. So we have a good substrate of uh, of clay which retains water, but also we are not at the top of the hill. We are kind of middle mid of the hill which is, you know, marked at the top from the town of Staffolo. And so being in the middle, you know, you, you don't get that very strong sun exposure like at the top. And also water somehow remains, you know, trapped around the area. So we, we, we don't see a lot of, uh, you know, effect from the, from the this summer drought. No, meno male. That's, um, meno male. Yeah. So, Carlo... I know the winery has been in the family for a hundred years, and and you had a career change when you decided to come back to the to the family estate. Tell us a little bit about the story of the Tombolini Winery and your own story as well, which I think sounds very interesting. Well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, the story of the of the winery has has very few parallels in the region, but you know history history and tradition is important. But at the same time, it mustn't be a you know, I say a destiny, you know, I think it's important that every generation renews the perspective and tries to bring, you know, a, a, a new mentality. So this, I think, is more the mindset, the character of the family, which I care about. And it's a character of, you know, uh, caring for, for, for the territory and being proud of the territory and um, trying to do new things. So um, my great-grandfather, Sante, is effectively he escaped death uh, during the First World War, and uh, you know out of that very uh, dreadful event, actually came back full of life, uh, full of joy of living. Came back by train. He was a little man. He was going around with a sidecar, a sidecar, and like and, and I inherited this DNA. So I'm also you know not so tall. And um, he came back and he started working in Ancona. In Ancona, with my great grandma, they they opened close to the port of Ancona, which is we call it the door to the east, you know, because it connects with the Balkans. He opened this uh, this shop of uh, liquors, spirits, and spices. Eh? And at that time, 1921, the 
Verdicchio was mostly sold, it was already known, but it was mostly sold in barrels and not in bottles. The main export was probably to the city of Rome, which connects to the Marche region since a century because it was part of the papal and the Vatican state. So... I think the real passion for wine came to him because of business, because he was a businessman. And, uh, and in 1944, he bought the first vineyards in San Paolo di Iesi, uh, one of the first to start bottling also Spumante, because Verdicchio, Spumante Verdicchio. Uh, and, you know, people tend to forget that one of the first Spumante uh, from Italy was Verdicchio, because uh, the, the grape variety has this very high acidity. You know, uh, it was perfect for, uh, for uh, sparkling wines. And it, the stories he was telling us is that the soldiers uh, in Second World War, the, 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 the Allied soldiers, so the, the American army, was quite uh, pleased by the Spumante from, from Verdicchio. Amazing. I thought the Spumante was a more recent thing because it, Verdicchio does indeed make wonderful sparkling wines. Yeah, sure. And, and, and you know, this is, again, part of his, the history that is a bit forgotten. But we have, uh, you know, I have uh, bottles from 1946, uh, obviously not drinkable but uh, now, but it is a very good, uh, how do you say, historical evidence. Sure. Then, but let's say my, my great-grandfather was didn't have uh, the same, uh, uh, you know, openness in terms of mind, mind, mindset and, you know, view of the world as my grandfather, Giovanni. Giovanni, uh, Giovanni really expanded the, the business and the, the winery in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s, what is called the Italian economic boom. You know? So he started exporting the, the, the Verdicchio in this traditional amphora-shaped bottle uh, all over the world, but, uh, you know, particularly the state of New York was, was a big, uh, it's a big market for us, but also the UK, Japan. You know, sometimes uh, this is also something that is forgotten, but before Pinot Grigio became Pinot Grigio, Italian white wine, was also Verdicchio. Absolutely, and in that very distinctive bottle, which we'll talk about a little bit further on, but that um, amphora bottle, just as Chianti was in its straw-covered fiasco, uh, and the beautiful amphora that brought Le Marche wines and Verdicchio di Castelli di Esi all over the world many, many years ago. Yes, and, and, um, and then, you know, my mother, is the, the daughter of Giovanni, in you know around the year 2000 she actually pushed uh, went for a, another step she she transformed the winery into uh, you know it made it bigger so we we extended the the vineyard to 30 hectares and then she also introduced the, this concept of organic farming we are now certified on most of the vineyard there is only a bit that needs conversion uh, in 2023 we will be fully certified but you know organic in this moment for us it's a it's a must, uh, and I would consider it, you know, something that everyone needs to needs to do. And so, there's no need to talk about it. If you don't do it, it means you don't understand what is happening in the world of viticulture. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, myself, myself, uh, I uh, I changed my life uh, several times because, like, you know, a winery that's a hundred years in the family. Uh, it must be that some periods is better and some periods are worse. So <laughs> you, you, you cannot always bet on your family to give you uh, a direction. And, uh, and in my case, I decided to, to pursue my own career in London, working for very, very large uh, investment banks, American institutions. But in 2013, my mom gave me a call and she said, Carlo, 
we are at a moment in our history where either you step in or everything is lost. And it wasn't money. It was really a family succession. And um, at that point, I, I just uh, I, I thought about it very, very briefly. You know, the, decisions, uh, the decision was clear for me that it was the right time. I was 35 years old. Today, I'm 44, full of energy, full of uh, enthusiasm, and also full of uh, love for my mom. It's as easy as that. You know, you have to decide in your life if you want to continue to live separate from your family and then, you know, whatever happens to them doesn't bother you or you just, I just decided a bit on the basis of of uh, the family bond. And also I knew that in my life I would have never been able to recreate and to buy the history of my family. And that's why I've done it. Well, that's a beautiful story. And I like the way you've traced that through the generations. But it still would have been a change of life completely. You're living in London. You're working for an investment bank. And now you move back to the quiet and beauty of the countryside to become a farmer, a winemaker, selling wine around the world. So a completely different change of life. I, I, I think so. But at the same time, uh, this might surprise you, but um, there is an element of, uh, of the wine business, which is, um, you know, my, my family comes from an agricultural background. My, both my grandfathers were agronomists. Uh, one one was, was an entrepreneur, one, one was an agronomist all his life. I ended up in the banks, etc. Right, but but uh, you know sometimes I make a joke that you know my great my grandfather was evaluating the weight the weight of a cow or of a bull, and I was evaluating maybe a company you know uh, worth, but it's the same job. Uh, but but in the end, in the wine, you have this personal relationship. This there is this personal relationship with the producer, which is. Uh, you become the same thing as the winery and the vineyard. And this is so rewarding that even if you are alone, battling against nature and battling against a, a, a lot of other things, you know, because it's complex, but still you have this reward of the personal contact with your uh, aficionado, with your fan, fans, with your, the people who love your wine. And this is unbelievable. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Yes, absolutely. I can well understand that important link between, between the people who are here making wines to enjoy for, and that long tradition in your family. Now, we've mentioned a very special grape, Castelli di Esi being the home of this wonderful grape variety found here and in Matelica, also in Le Marche, but virtually nowhere else on earth, Verdicchio. Let's talk about Verdicchio and about the way you are making your Verdicchio wines. Yeah, look, Verdicchio... Is, is, in my opinion, at this point in time, with what we understood finally of the grape, is certainly, if not the, the most important, one of the most important white grape variety of Italy. 
And the particular thing, and, and you know, Verdicchio, as I said, is a tradition which is now centuries old in this region. And that means that the relationship between the soils and, 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 and the microclimate of this region, which, as I said at the beginning, is very different from the rest of Italy. We are quite up north. People tend to forget that we are at the same height of Siena or Florence, but we are on the east. And the east gives you a completely different set of winds. We get the Balkans winds. We get much cooler weather than the west side of Italy. And then we have a special soil here as well, which is being studied. I've done my own study, but you know the denomination is going to come up with a full study. It's a pretty particular soil because it's a 5 to 15 million years old mix of clay and sandstone. Uh, it was a seabed. Huh? It was a seabed. It was submerged under the Adriatic Sea. Verdicchio found its own special home here for centuries. If uh, it's used in other regions and in other areas, we'll, we'll have a different expression. Why is Verdicchio so special? It's so special because it, it, it is an extremely versatile grape variety, white grape variety, but also it is age-worthy. So you, you can create very longeve and very complex white wines with Verdicchio. It is strange to say this now because historically the success of Verdicchio has come from this very fresh, as I said, acidity, fresh style of winemaking. It's so versatile that it's quite easy to make an excellent, easy drinking wine with Verdicchio. However, it's only since maybe 20 years and even less that producers have recognized the possibility to create very age-worthy wines with Verdicchio and complex wines. That's, that's really important to know because I think, as you say, people remember an easier style of Verdicchio, but this more structured, uh, more serious, almost like a red wine that happens to be white uh, to get that fullness of character. How do you achieve that in extracting this personality from your grapes? First of all, beginning in the vineyard, but also your winemaking techniques. We, we focused very strongly on the vineyard. I say this is the reason why I came back, because everyone was telling me that that vineyard was producing a special, a special grape, a special raw material. And what we do, what we do essentially is we farm organically, but particularly we keep the yields low. We are, we are working with yields between seven and nine tons per, per hectare. You know, we work with a guyo, single guyo training, pruning technique. And we make sure that the vines, you know, do not get too overloaded with fruit. The other thing we do is, which is, if you want this practice I just described, are, are getting more and more common in the region. And now we need to deal also with, with sun. Eh? So we are increasingly keeping the canopies more uh, rich to cover and to prevent any burning of the skins of the, of the grapes. And it's something we are managing to achieve quite well. Why is this so important? Because obviously we want to create very elegant and crisp wines and we cannot afford having you know, any burning from the sun on the grapes. This is, I think, the major things we do on the farming, which in the end is also quite simple because the weather and the, and the conditions of the soil, they, they help us. This is one of the features of Castelli di Iesi. The soil is poor. It's a, it's a soil which is poor on nutrients. And, and this is why Verdicchio 
is exalted here because Verdicchio is quite a vigorous, a vigorous vine. It can have a very strong productions, big productions. But in Casale di Iesi, it struggles. It goes down, the, the roots go deep, and uh, we can work with lower yields. And that's, and that's where we get more extract from the, from the Verdicchio grapes. Carlo, I'm fascinated that a time when other producers are eschewing the traditional infamous amphora bottle that we've already talked about, the bottle that really put Verdicchio on the international wine map, you have returned to your family roots and very proudly sell your flagship wine, the Castelfiora, in a very sleek and beautiful and elegant modern amphora. Tell us your thinking behind the amphora and what it represents to you. Yeah. So the, the amphora, the amphora is Verdicchio. And uh, the amphora is Le Marche. The amphora is our territory. And uh, I realized after a few years here that there was no better way of immediately showing who we were than this bottle. And uh, I thought, why no one else? I mean, obviously there is, there are, there are amphora-shaped bottles in the supermarkets. They, you see them on the shelves, also in the UK. But why nobody is has started already? Making a classico superiore and then a reserva, so the premium, the, let's say the, the best of the denomination, into this bottle. And why have we forgotten that green color? And then I, I made my, my, my study and I realized, you know, that everyone was a bit paralyzed by the, by the history. But, you know, because in my life I had to change so many times, I thought, you know what? We shouldn't be paralyzed by what, by what we wear or by our mistakes. There's always another chance in life. And uh, I contacted the, the best designer in Italy and uh, I fought with her for nine months to develop this bottle because she was also, um, you know, initially skeptical on the whole idea, Simonetta Doni, and uh, in Florence. And we became friends in the end. And now she showcases the bottle on her shelves in her, in her study when clients, you know, much bigger names go and visit her. So the idea is I want this bottle to be on the best tables. So I will put in this bottle only the best of my production, which is the opposite of what the others uh, have done. But I'm not, I don't want to compare to the others. I do it also for the denomination. And I'm very happy that now a lot of colleagues are you know, rather than skeptically looking at someone who was, you know, in London and maybe this is just a caprice. No, actually, they understood what I'm trying to do. And they and they say, let's say they are happy that I've done it. And I wouldn't be surprised if someone else followed. Mm, that's a beautiful story. And actually, it's a beautiful bottle. And I can see the, the, the elegance and the importance that comes in this beautiful shape, which, you know, as you say, is returning to tradition, but also going against uh, uh, an element of that tradition when it was a more considered a more easy drinking wine. Well, let's. I know you have a family um, get-together today, and I'm imagining you're going to be having a very nice lunch over your family get-together. Let's turn to the foods of Le Marche, of your area, Le Castelliglieze, and just talk about foods that go well with this wonderful wine, Verdicchio, because it's not just seafood, it's the more well-structured examples, as we're talking about, can accompany many 
of your wonderful and delicious local dishes. Verdicchio, verdicchio is, as you said, is a, is a bit of a, a red dressed in, in white. No? So it, it, it's quite surprising uh, um, to taste it, uh, not only with the traditional uh, excellent seafood of Le Marche, but uh, inland, uh, you know, to try it with... Uh, our fantastic coniglio in porchetta. So it's a rabbit cooked uh, with uh, some bacon and, uh, and herbs. Or, you know, we, with some, uh, we, have, we have a lasagna, a special lasagna here, which is called the Vinci's Grassi, which we do, we do also with uh, uh, bechamel and, and, and mushroom. And so the white, a white lasagna, uh, that would be quite nice with, uh, with a verdicchio. And, and all the different... Uh, you know, also the, the soft and medium cheeses that, that, that we produce here uh, in Le Marche. So it is a wine that uh, surprises from that standpoint because it, it has this uh, volume, this presence in your mouth for, for a long time. It's persistent and, and the acidity helps you to smooth, smoothen out and, and, and refresh uh, any heaviness that could come from uh, food that is here mainly based on ingredients which are local. And these ingredients are often surprisingly rich <laughs> in flavor for someone who's not, uh, who's not used to that. Yes, um, I think Le Marche has a, one of the great cuisines of Italy and is not so well known. Uh, I love that Coniglio in Porchetta, <laughs> the rabbit boned and stuffed as a porchetta would be with the yes. wild fennel, the garlic, the herbs cooked in a hot oven, a wood oven, ideally. Um, wonderful foods in the brodetto from Ancona or the beautiful wild mussels from Porto Novo. Wonderful foods to go with wonderful wines. Yeah, I've seen, I seen your experience quite a lot, Mark. I'm surprised. Oh, it's one of my favorite areas to visit. I do think that more people should visit Le Marche. It's not so well known as, as you say, the West Coast, the Tuscan, Tuscany and Umbria as an area for visitors, but it's an area that people need to visit and discover. And while they're there, they need to discover Verdicchio. Yes, sure. This is, uh, this is our pride and we want to tell the world and everyone to come here and discover discover the amazing thing we have uh, we have here. Maybe we've been a bit distracted for too long. We've been busy with other things, and we maybe been a bit complacent in Le Marche. Le Marche is a, is a strange combination between the let's say shyness of being a farming uh, region or historically farming region and then the complacency of being an area of manufacturing for a very long time so people uh, are at the same time reserved and also well off so they don't maybe make a big effort or they just didn't need to do it Uh, but we should we should and we want and we will love to be known and to and to meet people uh, to show what we can do with our wines certainly well i'm i'm sure that many of our listeners who are located all over the world will be fascinated to hear your story and eager to taste your wines as well as to visit uh, the beautiful castelli diesi carlo thank you so much for being my guest today it's been a real pleasure meeting learning your story and learning about your wines. And I do hope I can make it out to visit you sometime soon. Grazie. Grazie, Mark. I'm looking forward to meet you. Presto. Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.